podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Rachel Fisher. And I'm Desi Jenikin. And we host Hollywood Crime Scene. Our show is about the salacious crimes and scandals of the rich and famous from the early days of Hollywood to the 21st century. We also cover Los Angeles history, true events that inspired movies, interesting biographies, and more. At the end of the week, we drop our mini episode, which recaps the news everyone is talking about, plus the weirdest stories of the week from around the globe. We also talk about food a lot. Subscribe to Hollywood Crime Scene wherever you find podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Ladies and gents, episode 11 here of the United People's Podcast. It's a special one. It's a good one. I th- well, I think it'll be a good one anyway. I'm joined by Steve's McLaren, be- Steve McLaren's beautiful son, Josh. Not ugly. Beautiful. beautiful. How you doing, Josh? That's all right. That's a good description. No, that's the best <laughs> intro I've heard for me. Yeah, you take, you take that, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. But it's been a long time coming, isn't it, mate? We've been chatting for a while. Uh, you've kindly l- let me use uh, a couple of your chats with your dad, uh, sort of giving a little bit of insight into the process of the whole thing. And I want to sort of dive a little bit deeper into that in this conversation. Uh, me and Josh will have a conversation here today. Uh, sort of about uh, Steve McLaren's return to Manchester United. You know, what was the process like? Um, also, kind of how it's gone in the first couple of weeks, because United are, uh, are back out to pre-season now. Sorry, back out to pre-season. We're back out in Thailand, beginning our tour. First game will be today, actually, because this will be released at seven in the morning. So we're playing Liverpool. Every United fan's really excited to see how that goes and how the Ten Hag philosophy comes across to the players. We'll speak about that. We'll speak about maybe some changes that Steve's seen at Manchester because obviously he was there back in the back in the treble year. He, he's he's seen United at its peak, and he's come back to United when we're just like bruised and bloodied on the floor. So it's two very very different Uniteds that he's been involved in. Be interested to understand any changes there. But how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy to come on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah you said it, it took a while to sort out, but. You did. You were you were too busy on holiday. You were. Yeah. No. You. Yeah. I just gave it fifty fifty. It was half your fault, half my fault. Mainly right. your okay, fault. I'll <laughs> yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. But look, it's um, it's been, I would say, a, a pretty damn positive couple of weeks uh, as far as I've as far as I can see in terms of Eric Ten Hag's because there was so much excitement about him coming back, coming to the club. Mm. Um. The what the work he's done at Ajax, the fact that he looks like a very very system based manager, somebody who can bring real discipline uh, back to Manchester United, and he decided to bring Mitchell Van der Gag and he brought Steve back with him. Uh, obviously, Steve was the manager at Twente when Eric Ten Hag was his assistant. And they won the Eredivisie title that year, didn't they? They were and, uh, no, he, he, Ten Hag was there first year, and then Ten Hag left. And then the year after, so they came second when Tag was there. But but to be that's what I'd say was because Dad told me like he was a big part of the academy, like, part of the whole setup FC Twenty really because he'd been there for so long. So really, the philosophy there was his in terms of the style of play and everything. And then when Dad came in, it was <clears throat> it was more just about bringing that that winning mentality to it because with the with the Dutch, all they want to do is keep the ball. 
because they just want to play with the ball. And they're like, oh, great, we've got 70%, 70% possession, 80%. But it's like, no, it's scored at the end of the day. <laughs> we've nailed it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like, that's what he brought to it, but also brought that experience to the manager as well. And that's kind of how it worked. But yeah, he, came, he was there for the first season and then left. I can't remember where he went after that, but he, yeah, left after the first season. Uh, is that when, no, I didn't go to, I think he went to, was it Utrecht? Um, you lot should know the whole history now. Sodnaz. <laughs> I mean, I should, I probably, I mean, you exposed me there, you made me look bad. <laughs> look, we'll, we'll move on from that one. But look, um, you know, how's it, how, how's it gone for Steve since he's, he's been back? It's been two weeks now. He obviously flying out for the preseason tour. You haven't spoken to him since he's been in Thailand, but you know, is he happy? Does he feel settled straight away? Or is it, is it something that's still going to take a bit of time for him to sort of, find his feet back at the club that he was at, what, 20-plus years ago, back in the 90s? No, he's buzzing. He loves it. Yeah, he absolutely loves it going back. Yeah. He's meant... I watch, like, I watch the clips on like, on the same as everybody else on Twitter, watch him coach and stuff. It's like it's where he's meant to be, is on the grass doing that. Because I'd argue, like, I think he's he is probably one of the best coaches in England in terms of what he does on the grass. You know, that's why Ten Hag's brought him in, because he, he's got that aspect to it, that aspect of like that engagement I was calling like the circus conductor like he's like in the middle he's like he's like setting it setting the competition up like you've seen it today I was looking and it's everyone's saying about you know like losers do press-ups in the training but like that's part of it that's like the setting up that competitive environment on the on the pitch on the training pitch for it to then come to fruition on the actual pitch on game day but you've got to have that stakes of like Right, here's the game, here's the competition, every training session. And if you listen to the clips, I'm like watching the clips on, on Twitter and stuff, and you can hear Dad all the time. Like he's the loudest, like by far. That's what he does. He just he he, he carries that enthusiasm so that it kind of generates into the players as well. It's that body language that kind of goes into them as well. But he's loving it. Like he he, he wouldn't say you know he's like I say on the last podcast, he's like, Oh, going back to the chaos of football and stuff but he's just joking around because he, he loves it so it's a stress <laughs> it's all about being part of a family that is stressful and it's a strange life but really he loves it like he loves uh, he loves the chaos of it but he, he's having a good time absolutely even it doesn't matter what yeah, situation like it's it's best for him no, I, I, for, for a lot of united fans it was um i think i spoke to you about this before i did mention it before is um because of because we had mike feeling back at the club and then all of a sudden we're moving on from that and we were moving towards a new style, a new era, a new philosophy, whatever you want to call it. And then we brought Steve back in. Mm. Some United fans looked at, that, looked at that and went, hmm, is this United just bringing an old boy in? Yeah. What, what, what's, your, what, what's your thoughts on that from, from like a family perspective? You think, you think that's like unfair on the character of Steve and, and sort of what he is and what he does as a coach? Well, for one thing, you need experience. Like, he, he, that's... For me, I was looking at that's a perfect appointment as a coach. That's an unbiased opinion. Like that's exactly what he wants. He wants someone that he's worked with before in Holland, but also someone who knows the Premier League, but also specifically knows Man United as well. So for me, <clears throat> I remember watching was it Simon Jordan? I think he was the most one who asked the biggest opinion in terms of what a bad choice it was. But like even it, this is my unbiased opinion. I don't agree with that at all. I think it's like the it's the best appointment that he could make, and it is. He knows what he wants from dad. He knows what he wants him to do. It's not a matter of bringing a name in for absolutely no reason. It's and and Ten Hag is that is a by from what I've heard as well. Someone who's in detail, who who wants everything right. But what he'll do is he'll get the right person for the job, and he'll say this is what I want from you, and then he'll just let them get on with it. So I think with dad really wants that 
what he brings is that engagement with players. And I think a lot of people don't really understand that from outside of football when you watch when you see him in terms of what he does in front of the media and things like that. You think, what's he doing? Like, he's like, he's like my old dad, really. Like, he's but he's an, he, but in terms of engaging with with like young players and just players in general, he's fantastic at that. He's fantastic at building the culture. One part I remember was it Ten Hag saying that for for, uh, for the other assistant as well and dad as well was bringing in people that were winners at won things before, and that's exactly what dad's done. And what people don't understand, you know, one of you know Carlin Cup with Borough. Had a great run there with SC20 as well, winning the league, doing so well with Derby as well in terms of pushing for promotion. Like I don't think people understand what the qualities that takes to do that sort of thing and to take those qualities into an assistant coach at Man United to kind of balance with Ten Hag and his characteristics. He, he don't he's faultless straight. Uh, he knows, you, he knows you, who he wants and he, that's who he's got. At this at this point in his career, you know, Steve's he's been around the block. He's been in Manchester United before. He's he's done a lot in multiple countries. Do you, do you feel like it? you spoken to him? Is is that still burning as brightly and, and as strongly in him to sort yeah. of give absolutely everything to? Yeah. It? Are we getting that sort of like you want to call it like a hundred percent Steve at back of Manchester United? No, you, like, don't get me wrong. He's changed as in terms of so when I was growing up, like we always joke, like I never even met my dad. He was just twenty four seven football. My, when I so when he was at Borough, I was a kid. I barely saw him, even though we lived like down the road from the training ground and stuff. Because he was twenty four seven in football, and, I'd, and and he still has that. He's he, he's much better at balancing that home life as well. But he's not the manager. If he was the manager, I don't think I'd be able to talk to him ever because he'd be right in that. That's the manager's job. In terms of his enthusiasm for it, that unchanged at all. You're not getting someone who's just in it for for the ride. Like he's just he's going to give. It's the same as anyone. I think. It's the same with anyone in football. I think as a fan, sometimes you look outside and you think, oh, these people don't care or these players don't care. or Everyone that works in football wants to win with the club that they're working with. They want to put everything into it. There's no choice at Man United. That's the It should be or is the culture of Man United. You don't, in, under Ten I mean, Hag, that was the culture. Right? Under Ten Hag, it absolutely will be that it's it's everything. You're giving everything to that. It's a big, this is the biggest... Even though it's an assistant job, it's one of the biggest jobs in football right now. It's one of the biggest challenges to have. You can't just not in hundred percent. I would argue. I would actually argue that. I would argue that the the Man United job is quite literally the toughest job in football. Whoever yeah. whoever does that in the modern era and takes United back to that top table will go down. Obviously, they'll go down in United folklore, but United are a sleeping giant, and we don't want to sleep for thirty years like Liverpool did. Yeah. It's been what is it two thousand? It's been nine years now. So we're getting up towards a decade, and, and you, 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 we're we're at that precipice now where we're in danger of really slipping into a dark hole if we don't switch it and turn it around. With right now under Ten Hag and and, and your dad Steve, um, you know, so how, how you've spoken to him a few times. What's what's his um, sort of reaction been like going back to Manchester United? Is it, has he noticed any sort of massively negative changes? Is there anything that he goes, "Ooh, fucking hell, that's that's a bit different"? Or, what 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 what's the what's the players' reactions been like? And you know, is he enjoying himself so far? Everything I've heard is really positive. To be fair, I think really reflection of what I've seen online and and, and everything else. I think the players are really happy with the standard of the coaching and the, and the management. I think they're reacting really well to what's going on. I think like we talked about just before we started recording, like we, we look at players and I think sometimes you, you look at the Man United players and thinking they haven't really got that attitude or they don't care or they've got this certain. Uh, traits or whatever within them that's 
not making them good players, but it's all about the structure and the culture of the environment around you. If you're confused about what sort of situation you're in or what direction your team's going in and things like that, it's so hard to give that 110% that you want to see from a team. It's much, it's much deeper than that. And I think the players just are, they are reacting to having unbelievable coaching in terms of what Ten Hag's bringing. I feel insight I got is it, that's what dad wanted to say as well was just like the the good work that's going on and the reaction from the players has been really good but he was telling me about the details of the sessions and the amount of details so he wants the players to work really hard but not just physically he wants them mentally working hard as well and it's so interesting he said he's got this rule that rule you have to keep it below the knee ball below the knee all the time when this happens you've got to move there so it's lots of different things and I'm thinking that's a lot like we talk about sessions and and talk about them being simple because at the end of the day you've got a, a player that needs to understand what you're doing but he's saying no the players get it he communicates it in a way where the players understand it and I think I think sometimes players just want something to dig their teeth into it's like right give them a structure around them right you do this this you work on this this will work and then that's it's like it will happen you've got the players there in Man United we question the attitude but to get to that standard of where you are at Man United you have to have that in you where you working hard all the time. And if you just give them that structure, you're going to get that from them. And, and that's what dad's really, that's what I've heard from him. It's been really good. Of course, it's it's pre-season and we always talk about pre-season. It, it, it's, it's with every team. It's, you've got to get into the season. As soon as you lose a game, what is the reaction going to be like and how is that going to work? Yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's the next step now from that. But right now, and really that's what you've got in Tenaga is a very... Very, very competent manager. And from that, you'll get the reaction from the players. You've got the coaching staff around them as well. And like, just watching the sessions, same as everybody else online, it's, they, they look great to watch. Like, I just love watching sessions and they look like great sessions that are being put on, which is something exciting for Man United. Fans, yeah. But, yeah. I, I, think, <clears throat> I think the most exciting part of the sessions to, from, because I've covered them quite in quite a lot of depth over the past couple of weeks and the first couple of weeks of pre-season. And it is... Even I, even me watching it, not as a player, it feels like I understand what's going on mm. because there's there's certain drills that are repeated, constantly repeated. There's certain messages that are constantly repeated. You've mentioned it there that obviously we haven't had that insight before, like keeping it below the knee. They might have four, five, six different rules, changing the mentality of receiving the ball, being comfortable in possession. It, it, it's not like Ten Hag is coming in and like sort of bending United's philosophy. Mm. He's come in, lit a bonfire, put the last five, six years on it, and is building from scratch. Yeah. So that's probably why he needed and needs Mitchell uh, and Steve to come in and be those two. Because it, it, like you're explaining there, there's a lot going on. So it would be impossible for Ten Hag to do that with 31 players and be able to manage it and get the point across. You need two lieutenants who are shouting from the other sides with the exact same message. Yeah. So from what you're explaining there, and that, that was something I was not concerned about, but... I didn't know what the dynamic was going to be between Ten Hag, uh, Mitchell van der Gag and your dad, Steve, because I didn't know whether he was going to sort of step out or whether he was going to be as involved in the training. But from what you're explaining, it sounds like your dad's at his happiest when he's just properly getting amongst it. Yeah, he is. I think what I've seen on uh, just on the outside as well is that's, that's the case. I think Eric's kind of taking charge of the sessions really on the grass by the sounds of it and by the looks of it. And then he's got 
you know, the assistants, coaches around him to be a part of that session and, and do those. I think it's all orchestrated by him, though, by Tenag, especially at this point. I don't know if he's going to, if he would step back at any point and allow some delegating, but, but I think he wants to take it himself, really. And they have the assistants. You need good staff. Like, and that's what we talked about, what I've talked about before in terms of the importance we put on, on the manager. And yeah, that is an important aspect, but there's so much going on with the club for the reasons. And you could look at that in Man United, so many reasons for for what have been the past few years. It's not so much, you can't put that on one person or any person. It's it, There's lots of details within the club, things that we don't even know what's going on. I'm just going on on just like think odd things I've heard from my dad. But the reality is we don't know. No fan really knows what's going on in the club, the details of it and why things are a certain way. It's the job of uh, Tenag now and his staff and everyone to go in and, and figure that out for themselves. They'll probably be realising things themselves that they're going through and, and figuring out as well. It's uh, it's football's a tricky thing. <laughs> it's a really, I do it just like, because I'm working with the, even with the women's, with the Newcastle starting off my career as a psychologist and it's just, uh, there's always little things and always things to sort out. And it's, you talk about the tactical aspect of things in terms of the sessions they're putting on. Uh, like I said, as soon as they play a game, they lose. You've got to deal with those situations as well. You've got to deal with players not starting. You've got to deal with setting your starting 11. You've got to deal with players on the bench as well. Yeah. It's, it's lots of steps to take. You can't, you don't know, you know, it's just, it's, it's a very, it, that's, it, management's a difficult job, but that job in particular is going to be, it's been interesting to watch. Now, you, you, you've touched on it there, and it, it, it's a good segue. Uh, you touched on the psychology side of the game. Mm. Uh, obviously, the first 10, 15 minutes here, we've had like we've had a lot of insight and a lot of chat about the tactical side of the game, but the psychological side of the game is a massive weakness of United. Mm. We've we've lost that winning culture. We've lost that winning mentality. We mm. we gained it a little back, back under Solskjaer. We had a real ability to win games from losing positions, uh, and we did that a lot. But we were so bad at controlling games, so bad at sort of... As soon as we went top of the league, our asses fell out and we didn't know what to do with that position. Uh, we, we didn't know how to manage it. Mm. Uh, how, what sort of um, process do you, processes will your dad have and what sort of lessons will he sort of be teaching these players to change and switch that psychology? Because you say like that's quite a big part of what you feel his strengths are as a coach. Yeah. How, 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 will, how will he go about changing that? Well, for me... It just in a, in a personal one, it's it's about the the players and their direction and their story in terms of right. Why do they want to? It sounds daft, but why do you want want to win? I think you know everyone wants to win, but why do you want to be a part of Man United? Why do you want to win? Why do you want to work really hard? Because under ten, I can be working really hard. What's your individual motivation for doing that? The other thing, and I think it's something they are doing within Man United. It's it's it's, it's setting the values. And and what is and I talked about it before uh, on the podcast and stuff. You know what is the Man United way? What we talk about all the time, and fans talk about it all the time. But I don't think anyone could sum it up in terms of right. Here's three, four core values of what Manchester United is, and this is what we believe in. This is what we work towards. What? How do we identify with the fans? What's the connection with the fans? What's the connection with the club? What's the connection with the city as well? It's a great. Is uh, a guy I'm going to interview soon. Um, called Owen Eastwood and he's a kind of culture guy and this is something he talks about he's worked with Southgate and and with the All Blacks and things like that and he talks about the the story so the other story in terms of so he'd say at Man United he'd look at the badge he'd go what's the what does it mean what's the badge mean what are the stories within that what are the symbols within that 
what's the actual identity of Man United because it, it's it's having a reason and it, you don't realise it, I think, until you get it, having a reason to, to identify with everybody else, to be an actual team, to, to have a meaning for winning beyond uh, just winning something. So, for example, looking at uh, Sam Wink with the Newcastle United women, and yes, we want to win the league, we want to go up, we have to go up divisions, we have to go up the league because that's what the club want. But what's the meaning behind that? Why are we doing that? Well, the history of the club is that, and the history of women's football is how oppressed that's been over the past few years in terms of Newcastle United women, how they haven't been a part of the club, how they aren't accepted within the club and how there is a fight there to change that. So it's not just about winning a league, it's about motivating a younger generation of girls to also play football. That's why we want to win. That's why we want to get promoted. That's why we want to do all these things. So it's about a meaning behind everything else that's going on. You, you Sometimes you talk about players and you say, oh, they're getting paid so much. Why are they not working? Well, they're getting paid so much because they're quality players. That's what they get paid for. But to get that motivation, and it's for all of us, it's the same in life and everything. You need a meaning behind what you do. It's why we all work and whatever we do. It's not monetary, is it? It's you want to do something. You've got a vision in terms of, I want Manchester United to yeah. be this. And then you, you you find the steps within that to work towards that. They do need that vision of, all right, we want Man United to be top of the league consistently, but what does that actually look like? I think Sir Alex was someone who really did that, who, who set a who had those values and those standards, and he kind of lived by them, and he had the players live by them as well. And it, it was he was everything with his management psychological, and that's it's very rare to get that, but you'll get that. Yeah. You hopefully get that with Ten Hag. Is that obviously he, he, Steve's your dad as well? Is it if if you're if you were to predict or if maybe you know already in terms of if 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 Steve was thinking that in his head as well, he goes right. What is the Man United way? What what are the things that are going to jump to his mind straight away? The things that he's going to bring into that sort of cultural switch because we've talked about a cultural reset at Manchester United mm. for the last few years, and ultimately. We've still got no fucking idea. We don't really know what the identity of Manchester United, as far as anybody can tell you in the Premier League, we we dominated the Premier League. We made the Premier League. The Premier League yeah. was ours. Uh, we were we were everything. We were the champions of England, champions of Europe, champions of the world. And, and it was that mentality and identity that was built on the success of it, but also doing it in, in a particular way. Like the youth has always been part of a big core of it. Ultimately, football is a, is a working class sport. It's why the, the ship's on the badge, you know, the roots of Manchester. And it's all just kind of being distorted and lost, especially over the last 10 years when we spent so much money, tried to turn into a Galactico club, spectacularly failed, and it's just blown up in our face. And now we're just sitting here going, well, geez, well, I don't know what to do now. But if, if, if Steve's going to come, and obviously he worked with Fergie. Like he was there in the treble winning season. He's, he's seen the pinnacle season of English football that there will ever be. Mm. There's only one team that's ever won the treble in England and maybe there only ever will be mm. because it's goddamn hard to do. Um, but if, if Steve's going to come back and, and try and change that, those sort of things you're talking about, how's he going to go do about, how will he go about doing that? You know, from, from, a, from a son and a father perspective, you can probably get a bit, get a bit of insight into, you'd kind of know how he's working, how his mind's working. Uh, at least. I've got to say as well, I don't, you know, you, you, like you said there before, uh, fans being concerned about you know that old dog coming in and and you know being a part of that. I think he's coming in with an understanding of a, a younger generation as well. I think so much of it is 
and there's such a history to Man United. Uh, and to be fair, you'd have to ask the players if, if they have this perspective. This is kind of like my speculation. But there's there's so much weight to that and there's so much always comparison to what has been before. But I think it is really about them having that uh, their own identity, of that clean slate of, right, we're in this position now. In what way are we as a team going to move forward and giving them that kind of control as well? In terms of how what he's going to do, I think... Like I said, one of the things is that value setting that they are going to do, I believe. In terms of the staff, I think they're doing that in terms of having the, the values that they want and understanding what Manchester United is. But so much of that is the individual choice of the players. And I think that's, in terms of what Dad will do, is gain that relationship with the, in terms of being that, in, in terms of a family uh, structure, he's kind of like that grandfather figure, isn't he? in terms of getting to know everyone. And right, Ten Hag, he's demanding, he's wanting this one, but he, he, Dad can be there in terms of a, an arm around the shoulder, trying to understand the players, understand why they want to play. I think so much, and I think so many fans talk about, that, you know, if if they'd go in, they'd be getting so-and-so out and getting that player out. And like we're talk, talking about now, getting these players in. But it's so much about understanding uh, those players at the moment and why they want to play and what because they are incredible I think it's lost they're really good players they're incredible players yeah it that's what team sport is it's it's getting that organized not an individual sport so it's understanding that team culture that team dynamic I'm sure they'll be having meetings in turn this is speculation again on my part I'm sure they'll be having meetings in terms of of that and discussing uh things of last season the things of seasons before and, and really to get an understanding of of what worked and what didn't and and I try and do it when I do my work as well is kind of bring that stuff to the surface where things are often unspoken but it's it those those relationships and those minor conflicts but it can be easily solved with conversations and group settings and things like that so there'll be that aspect of it as well I mean in terms of other things I won't want to say anything or else I get in trouble with my dad anyway, but I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so careful all the time. <laughs> but in terms of that, that'll, that'll, that'll really be it. And, and in terms of watching that happen, it'll be interesting to see because it, it's ultimately talk about this and you do this and do that. And I, I told you about before, it's ultimately in any club, it's up to the players. I think especially in top six clubs these days, in any club as well, the players are the ones who have the control. They have the power at the end of the day. It's their choice yeah. whether they want to work or not. The coach and the manager, uh, that, their job is to provide the structure in that, to provide the right, this is how we play. These are the sessions that we're putting on. Uh, this, this. They, if we concede, this is the plan. They, they provide the plan. It didn't used to be like that, though, did it? It's, that's what it's got to be. And then it's the players that then fuel that and, and do it. But like I said, you can't put individual blame on it. There's so many, fa- so many factors behind the scenes of a football club that I'm not aware of and, and, and certainly other people aren't aware of that contribute to these things. It's so easy to make it personal to players. But I think with understanding and where they're at, I think Rashford's an, a great example because it's watching from the outside. You go, what, what's, what is going on with that player? And that's a point where you have to, you have to figure out what's going on. And ask him and figure out. And yeah, he's a good lad. They're all, I remember I was watching was it Fernandez who did that video on the plane on the way there, and you got the sense from all the players that they're all really good lads. 
and it's like, yeah, great. You just got to understand. You just got to accept that, understand them, put an arm around them, like, and give them a structure and give them a plan and get them working. We can sometimes get so bogged down in psychology and like we need to do this. And there's so many psychologies integrated within the actual coaching itself and in that aspect of things as well. So yeah, in terms of what to do, it's yeah, there's loads of things to say. And I talk to dads because just because we talk about it anyway, and you, and I, you can see that on the podcast that we do. There's sort of conversation. There's yeah. conversations we have in terms of all the time. How do you make winning teams? And how do you build coaches? And how do you make players want to play? It's never one simple answer, flipping. It's never one simple answer. It's always what's the circumstance. <laughs> That's why you made a podcast. <laughs> exactly. You can talk about it for hours. So many episodes, even. So, <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's yeah. It's in terms of one answer, it's difficult. You have to be there at Manchester United. I'm going to give so much insight just from what I hear from dad, but you have to be in Manchester United. You have to be within the club. And in terms of the solutions, you know, we talk about he's got to be captain or he's got to be captain or they need to do this and they need to do that. You don't know until you... I think Tenar, it just, I think as recording today, just said about Maguire being captain. Yeah. And I think on the outside, even myself going, well, oh, that's an interesting choice uh, after everything yeah, that happened. happened. Um, but you don't know. I don't know... We always talk about this on the podcast. You've got so many podcasts and so many YouTube channels and they simply talk like they do know and they talk like they've been there on the day or something. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what Harry Maguire is like as a captain. We see him in front of a camera, which you and I understand is completely different to what people are like in person. It's so hard to be a certain way on camera, but if he might be someone completely different behind the scenes and how he works with the players around the relationship he has with the players. And you've got to trust Ten Hag in that if he's seen that. Then that's what we're I, I, with, with that with that Maguire one. I think that's one where there's probably an overwhelming collective of United fans that don't feel that Maguire is right. Mm-hmm. And I think we can all pretty fairly say we might not see what goes on behind the scenes, but we've seen Harry Maguire on the pitch as a captain for two years, and we know you talked about identity and understanding what United is. We know we've seen the best captain ever in the Premier League in Roy yeah, yeah. We know what we know what a captain should do and how he should present himself on the pitch. Mm-hmm. And Harry Maguire hasn't done that. But I'm, I'll be—I kind of agree with you. I'm a little bit surprised by it, especially considering he's only trained with Maguire for a week. I kind of thought he'd maybe take a little bit longer to make that decision. Yeah, I but, agree. I, 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 again, uh, this, this, it's the thing. I don't know what's, what's going on, uh, and that's it's pure speculation on my part as to, to what that pick is. But you say he didn't mm-hmm. play well. Uh, a lot of them dropped in performance. Again, it's a, it's, yeah, culture, it's, it's an environment. It's, it's, and it's not, it's not looking at players as one isolated thing, one isolated performance. You've got to look at the context in which they're playing in. Harry Maguire is a different player at England than he is at Man United. And that's yeah. what we talk about. In turn, I just talked about recently how much human behaviour has changed by the environment and the culture that we're in. And not to say that Manchester United is a bad culture, what I was talking about before in terms of when you don't feel you have a place in it or there's lack of communication or something, something that's not quite right, then you have that discomfort. You think more about that than you do about your performance. And then sometimes you think more about the fan reaction than you are about your performance. You think about this more about the, your performance. There's so much going on. It's so much factors, so many factors around an individual person that changes how they play and perform. I can see a Manchester United transformed with Harry Maguire as captain because he's been captain before. They came second. Well, he was captain when they came second, wasn't he? I mean, it, under under Ollie's environment, his culture, he was. We weren't complaining then in terms of his captaincy. That's changed quite recently. If he can, if he can be that captain he was before, then it absolutely makes sense. It's again, you don't know until you're in it. 
you don't know. You can say, everyone can say, oh, that's a rubbish choice. And everyone flipping does. Everyone says it's good or bad, but you don't know until, and if, I'm not questioning Eric Ten Hag, one of the best managers around. <laughs> that, and and you talk about, like, we've seen Maguire being captain under under Oli, under, under Rangnick as well. At some point, you've got to say, they're seeing something that he's doing. And the work that he's doing behind the scenes, and we don't. That's exactly. It was. It was. It was that exact quote which really, which really pissed United fans off. Is when we got. I think it was before we played Liverpool. Before we got trounced five four nil at Anfield, uh, he said, "Well, two managers have picked me. Um, I must be doing." <laughs> I, I, said, must, I must. I must. I said he doesn't talk. He's somebody's different talking on camera, isn't it? Sometimes you don't. <laughs> sometimes you just don't get your message across. Like I've, I've you look. I say you're doing the podcast. You learn. A lot about talking in front of a ca- and how to actually be yourself in front of a camera. Like, fans are entitled to criticise him in terms of his engagement with the media, and because that's they're, they're the recipients of that, right? They, they're going to complain about that. But if the work he's doing behind it, and it's also under a situation that's the situation it is at the moment, it's such an unprecedented one for Man United. It's it's difficult. But like I'm saying, I'm not. Yeah. I'm neither defending nor nor having a go at the decision. Again, you just don't know until you see. What's going on behind the scenes, and, and I, I'm pretty confident, though, that Ten Hag is going to make the right decision on it. I think, I think, I think that's fans it. can agree on that. He's, he's going to, he's the man. I, to I, I think, I think that's. I trust Ten Hag, uh, mm-hmm. even if I disagree with that decision. I trust he's making that choice for good reasons. Uh, I mean, I've, I went hard on Harry Maguire last year. I said he should be stripped of the captaincy. I was kind of done with him as playing for the club, but I knew that because of what we needed to do this summer, it wasn't going to be the summer where Maguire got moved on. And I'm happy to have egg on my face. I'm happy for him to have a renaissance and for me to praise him. Yeah. I don't want a player to be crappy United. Yeah. Let's, I suppose let's see what happens there. But um, you're right in that so much change has happened at United. So much change is happening at United. As, uh, as your dad mentioned, sort of any specific changes that he's seen at the club, because he was back at the club back in like, the late 90s and now he's back in 2022. It's a lot of years. It's a, it's a lot of difference. A lot has come and gone in that time. And now he's back at the club. Is there anything that he's sort of mentioned that, that has stood out to him that has been different? Whether that would be the culture, whether that... Obviously, the players are all different. It kind of goes without saying. Yeah. But is there anything he goes, well, that, that's like a noticeable difference that he, that he can see? Nothing he's really mentioned in particular, to be fair. I, the only thing I'd done is, is, I, is I went to, to Carrington with him. And that was in terms of training grounds, and and that was interesting. I think it's quite similar in terms of what it was before, in terms of the, the setup and everything. Um, that's not what you want to hear, though, in terms of the structure of the training ground. <laughs> 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 I went there. I went there. No players were there. I'm waiting for the. I'm going when the players are there. But um, in terms of the difference, I, not really much mentioned in terms of that. I, it's it's difficult. I think it's easy to say there's such a difference. I, what, what he's talked about in terms of what Man United used to be. Um, was how much individual responsibility players took in terms of how, how Sir Alex, everyone talks about Sir Alex and what a driving force he was in terms of the team, but the team managed itself, and I, that's the same of any successful team. Really, is that the team manages itself? It sets its its own standards, and it works from there. But that works again. We're talking about that in terms of structure, and in terms of that, you had Roy Keane as a captain, you had Gary Neville as well. You had a structure and a hierarchy within the team in which it could work within itself, and and that's. Again, speculating this and anything Dad said to me, but that's like what I see at Man United. It needs that structure within it. They need that understanding of who's in the pecking order of what. And it doesn't really matter who is, but it's a line of communication. It's a line of order. And then you allow a team to actually manage and, and work itself. And maybe, yeah, again, speculate on my part. Maybe that's what's 
the difference is really between those two teams. In terms of, I think Dad knows not to give too much away because he knows I'm rambling on online all the time, so he don't want to say too much. <laughs> Although I keep myself quite sensitive, but you're you're basically Rebecca Vardy for your day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I do that dramatic pause as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's it's funny. I'm never going to call you Rebecca Vardy again. I promise. I didn't think but, that um... example was going to come up. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> just came to my mind. Yeah. Nobody said that. Either, but but... That, a, a, a curious question I've got is, um, what's it like? Um, with your dad having such a public role being in the public eye what's what's that like like being a like a family member is it does it i don't know because obviously it's easy enough as a fan just looking about what's going on it's easy enough to criticize and yeah. what happens when you like you read the press and you read the, read the criticisms about what he's doing and what he's not doing what's that like as a, as a as i say as, as a family member and as his son yeah it's a nightmare no it's it's uh it's interesting it's um it's funny, you always never really have anything to compare it to because I've never had that life without it since I was young, since I was born. So I was born in 96, and that's when Dad was at Derby uh, as assistant there. So when he was when I was about two or three years old, that's when he was at Man United as well. I haven't really known any different. Um, I think in terms of, of course, when, it, when he was at Borough, that was that was like a really good a good period for him in his career, and that was all positive and still strange because I, when I was a kid, I... I was really introverted, really quiet and not really interested in football. And then everybody else wants you to be and wants to talk about it and wants to talk about your dad and wants to, uh, and you just want to, you don't hear it. You don't, you don't want to talk about it really. And then you really don't want to talk about it when he goes to England. And then you really don't want to talk about it after that either. <laughs> and it, and it's, it, yeah. And, but then you get that. And then, and then I've done it, you know, we've done it with the podcast in terms of, I think after a while, I think, with his relationship with the media, you get this perception of my dad that he's this, this type of person, um, which he really isn't at all in terms of his character and, and things like this. And it's more that the, those critiques, I don't mind the critique of football. Uh, I don't think anybody really does. That's that's it. But when it's a critique of the character, it's a bit different. And you, I think with the podcast, you kind of see the type of person he really is. And you kind of understand the guy. I think you get a lot, you get a lot of criticism in terms of management. And I find I'm in this unfortunate position where I'm defending him all the time. I just changed my flipping Twitter thing to like, uh, like the one and only Steve McLaren fan account. I was like, I'm the only one who I'm like, I'm like, yeah, just uh, yeah. I think he's great. I think he's really good at what he does. Like, you you're about, I don't know, bad managers. You don't even know who they are because you don't even they don't have a career. You, you don't, and that's what Ten Hag said when he brought him in. You know, he's he's won stuff. You don't realize what that takes to win. I don't know, understand. Why people, I think, looking at FC20 winning the league there and people dismiss that quite a lot. That's probably one of the biggest achievements an English manager's had in a, in a ever. I, that was such a hard thing to do against Ajax, against PSV, fine, all these top clubs. And he won the league with FC20. He won, won the league since or that often before it. It was quite an achievement, that. Is it... Has he, has, has he ever gone back to 20? Yeah, like, what's what's his relationship with the fans out there? Oh, unbelievable. We went... Well, he went back for a stint managing there uh, that was a bit brief. Um, but we went back recently um, because it was uh, just before COVID, it was a 10-year ten-year anniversary? I th- yeah, from 2020, so about 2010. So it was a 10-year anniversary, we went back. So I went with him. And that's what they, they, they love him in Twente, in, in Enschede, and all that around that area. Like a different different person. And so we're there and everyone's, and we've got this event and everyone's saying, oh, great. 
great manager, unbelievable. And then this woman's interviewing me and she's like, oh, and they, what, in England they call him the Wally with the Broly? I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah, they do. <laughs> they, they're like, they're over there. Over there, though, they have no, uh, they have no conception of him oh. of anything else other than him win the league being this great manager. So it's all, but it's all about perspective. You look at it. Middlesbrough fans will say he's a great manager, he's best manager Borough have ever had. Uh, Derby will say he's a great manager, uh, Derby legend. You know, Twente will say he's a legend at Twente. And then you go other clubs, yeah, they say it's a nightmare. But it's all about perspective. The, the current, it's as football though. It's either you're here, you're up there. You won the best, or you won the worst. That's why. That's why I like doing the podcast because we do, in terms of quite critical, uh, rightly critical of we don't say they're the best team or the worst team. We don't say they're the best manager or the worst manager. Like where are they in their career? What are they doing? How are they work? Like what do they need to do next? Like really being critical, but it's it, the reality of what you see, and that's what I, you learn. I've learned from doing the podcast and learned from uh, living in terms of being his son as well. Is that the perspective from the media. It's like it takes reality and then distorts it, then simplifies it. And it's either like really good, really bad. And it's never the full picture of what that person is. And that's kind of what you get with him. It's a strange, yeah, it's a strange life to live. You're really fortunate though, because you just so many opportunities and meeting players and things and being part of the team. I have a career now in football, um, doing psychology and things. I wouldn't have that without it. And especially about that insight, say we're like Derby, QPR, things like that. I can yeah. go and say like Man United now, I have opportunities to go and, and watch and learn and, and see things like that. So really, and I've had chats about this before, like in terms of what it's like being a son and, and your dad taking so much sacrifice for football, but you gain so much from it in terms of the experience and, and what you see and what you learn when really you- yeah, everyone would want that. Do, do you think you'll um, you'll try and I suppose in that sense try and take advantage of the opportunity of, of of your dad being back at Manchester United and trying to go to the club maybe kind of watch a few training sessions and and sort of obviously you can be busy with your job so you can't do this like twenty four seven but in trying to because it, it, for you who does study psychology does work with Newcastle women's team in that sense the United case study is going to be one of the base case studies of psychology having a massive impact on the change of a club, right? A hundred percent, hundred percent. I'm watching and listening and learning. It's so interesting. It's so the psychology of what's going on there is probably the most interesting thing, isn't it really? And that's when we, when, it's, when I see so much talk about transfers, I'm like, oh, the interesting thing is, and we talked about how to build a winning coach. We did an episode on that. And dad said that there, that's the most interesting thing. It really is the most interesting thing. And it is a real, it's a real case study in that. And I'm, yeah, I do it at all clubs, but especially with that, I'm going to try and weasel my way in and have a look and <laughs> see what's going on and just sit quietly and not really say anything and just like watch. But it, it, it is interesting. Uh, you, you learn so much from that. I have such an advantage in, in my career and what I do because of those insights. And you get so many people that start and work in football who, who it's, it's, quite, it's hard to say, but when you, work, when you grow up in football, you're a football person. It's funny in football, you have to be a football person to work in football in terms of having played or being around it, to know the language, to know how to engage, how to work with it. So I've had that. I've been fortunate to to look and watch and learn and, and gain from that. But I'm definitely going to do that at Man United in, in terms of, yeah, trying to lose on my way in as much as possible. I'm just going to try and try and watch. And, and like you said, I, I naturally, naturally, because I that's it literally, I, I study, I've studied sports psychology. I, I'm, in a few, in a month or two, I'll be a sports psychologist officially qualified. And, and in my research, it's all about 
hierarchies and building cultures and stuff like this. So like when it comes to, to me and dad having conversations, that's naturally just what it's going to fall to because that's what's going on at the moment. And it's so interesting. So that's what we talk about. I, it's, I'm just like learning really just learning, right. What are they doing? Oh, that's interesting. Like I'll try and apply that, but then I'm always reading and learning. I'm like, Oh dad, this, they, you never listen, but I'm like this, you know, they do this here and this, that there. And then it would take that on board and, and maybe do something with it or maybe not. But like, we are, that is basically, there's no, no, I like the podcast is pretty much what our conversations are. It's not really much filter yeah. on that. Mainly why we've stopped it a bit at the moment because of the nightmare putting those out. And it's <laughs> <laughs> when it's like, it, it, like I said, you uh, take it, distort it, it's, I mean, two quotes come out of it and then something that's the, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I suppose it, that's is when you're back in the uh, the eye of the storm, then you're going to have to. I mean, that's why players are media trained, right? They're, they're they're told to say certain things and not to say certain things, and everyone's going to be looking for that grab quote. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe 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 in the goodness of time, we can get we can get all three of us on here together. We can have a chat because I'll, <laughs> I'll ask him good questions. I promise that I don't even trust me to ask questions. Never mind you, <laughs> flipping it. You ain't got a chance. I'm telling you, I ain't got a chance. <laughs> I'm trying to. He went. I oh, was like, he went to me. Um, He's like, he was like, oh, t- tell him, tell him, I'm really enjoying working. Like everything's going really well. Like the players are really engaging, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I was like, why don't you just come up? We'll do t- ten minutes. You just say it yourself. He's like, nah, we'll do it. I was like, oh, why? You're just going to say exactly that. I don't know what the problem would be, but I think he's right to be cautious. Though so, like, we did that, and yeah. then, and then it was that was I saw Neil Warnock suddenly tweeting about it. I was like, that's weird. I never wanted. I never thought we'd have a it, when we were doing the podcast. Um, in terms of the, the, the context of it, like I, I'm just doing psychology. I want to get better taught in psychology. And we've always wanted to do, we've always wanted to do a podcast really. So then we'd do a podcast. And it's not, it's not like a massive podcast or anything. It's just like yeah. us trying to learn and, and trying to get better. And I didn't expect any of this to happen in terms of Man United and stuff. And it's only taking a different, it's become a bit of a different beast where I'm like, but I don't want to start talking about i want to talk about man united in an educated way but i don't want to be yeah gossiping about it like for this for example is is more an engaging interesting conversation and saying oh this has happened or even we talk about Maguire there that's, that's more insightful yeah. conversation than uh seeing whoever saying no that's not the right it's yeah, i want those sort of conversations and at the moment it's hard to do that because of the position dad's in it's it's a bit it's a bit different and he can't. It's really, delicate. Yeah, he can't. He's got a job to do. And he's got a responsibility to Man United, and he's he's got to be focused on that as well. To be fair, he ain't got the time. Like you say, he, he, when he asks how much he's invested, he's so busy doing that. He's up. I, I've saw it on Twitter. He's, he's he, when it was at the second or first day, he was in fifteen minutes before Ten Hag as well, about seven forty-five or something. He's going back to because I remember talking about that before, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, was saying, he always used to like challenge him, and he, Ten Hag was always turning up before yeah, he did. That'll be the little conversation of having, but it, <laughs> that's how busy. And he's driving, so he'd be up at like five or something. Then he's straight from there, straight home, rest, bam, up again, training. Like he, he talked about on the podcast before, but his first six months at Man United, he said were the hardest of his career in terms of the amount of work he had to do. It was like the intensity of it, and it kind of reminds me of that watching that, watching him do that work again. Certainly not not like that. He's he, you know he's not that young anymore, so he's not you're not giving that much energy to it because he ain't got that. But he's giving everything he's got to it again, like he does with everything. Really, you don't become you don't work in football like that. You don't become a manager, especially you don't become a manager if you don't throw a hundred percent, hundred and ten percent of yourself into it. You don't. There's no football and family life. There's football life, 
that's what I mean when you say when you're brought up in football, you you have that insight into it. You you're hundred percent in it. You're not. Uh, a number of times I've been to training grounds. Just like that's the time I spend with my dad. Is yeah. the training ground. I remember being like five, six years old. I remember going to the training ground at Borough all the time, and and being there as well. That's that's what you grow up in. So you know the environment. Like you you don't. There is, there is no football family life. It's football. It's for football. It's all. But then, like I said, that's I, mean, I could do this job and talk psychology and talk football because yeah. I've been doing it for however long because you live in it. Well, I, mate, as I said, what what you mentioned there is it's kind of a core part of what I'm trying to do, and that's and that's the what media has done when it comes to football for the last twenty years. Well, actually, no, for its whole existence, really, especially in the UK. I don't know whether it's the same in other countries, mm. but they always look to drag people down rather than to push people up because that's what sells newspapers. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that I'm trying to change with the work that I'm doing. I see that. Because I see I, that. Because I've now got my own platform and I don't want to push that message. But I, I want to speak to the players and I want them to want to speak to me. Uh, I want the clubs to want to them to let them speak to me because it's 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 engaging in a different way. So I'm, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you pointed that out because I'm, that, that's exactly the sort of core fundamental. Mm. I, got, I, got, I can't be asked for that. i got to say, that's what I talked to my, with my dad about as well. In terms, like I wanted to carry the podcast on in in some sort of way, because you don't get that insight really into what's going on. And I think you can get that insight in terms of like I've done there, like talk, like talking about the work that's going on. Thing, not nothing that's too intrusive. Like I think fans deserve that insight. And I think I think the future will be a bit more of a um, collaboration between that kind of fan media now and and the actual clubs themselves, because there's a bit of a disconnect at the moment. Where there's not not quite that trust, which is kind of understandable because there's a lot out there that's very it's it's clickbait kind of. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's 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 just the unfortunate like Arsenal fan TV uh, basically were the big exactly. um, they, they were the big starters of the fan channel, the fan media, and the power of fan media, and a lot of what their content was based on was based on fan cams, based on getting fans in vulnerable situations after a game, whether it's a win or a loss, their emotions are going to be exaggerated, and what they say is going to be exaggerated to the point where. You could sometimes they were used uh, as videos and evidence to laugh at the fans of other clubs. That's why I stopped doing fan because when I started the channel, the only way you could get in as a fan media was to do fan cams. So I did them for the first couple of months, mm. and I was like, "Nah, I don't want to do them anymore." Uh, because it, as I said, it's taking advantage of fans in vulnerable situations, whether it's a heightened emotion up or down, um, and it, and it, and it stains the concept of fan channels, and which hasn't been repaired just yet. I, I think they're, cha- they're changing though because. Like you said, that's that's what it was. Not to get into too nerdy about what I feel like I'm a bit of a nerdy YouTube. To be fair, like what FTV is becoming now is a bit more like that in terms of yeah, they have fans, but it's very much more um, controlled than what it was before. They've massively yeah. shifted because of coronavirus and the fact that they couldn't go to the games, yeah. and they've had to shift direction to. But it's I think it's helped that channel rather than oh, absolutely. It's got a future. Than, it gives it a it gives it a, a longevity which we didn't have before. And it's the same with everything on YouTube. That's why I like doing so. It's, so I'm not doing this stuff for my dad so often now, but it's like, right, what well, do I want to do myself in terms of talking psychology? And it's like, you know, I want to talk about what's going on in football, but from a more, from what I can bring is more a psychology perspective on it and not really a clickbait you want. It's more just like informative. But I think that's kind yeah. of where it will go because you've also got, you've also got Sky in terms of the overlap and, and Gary Neville doing that. And he wants the fans on because he knows they'll get the views 
but he also wants it in a more yeah. controlled Sky Sports kind of way. And I think you'll find that yeah. more in the future is that there'll be you get more fans because that I to me that encap- encapsulates more what a fo- football is. It's not just the it's not just ten hour going in working with the players and doing the detail and doing that aspect of things. Talk about the four aspects of it is the owner, uh, the staff, uh, the players, and the fans is the four aspects really. That in a, and the fans are a massive contribution to performance. I was talking about it before. And so looking at Newcastle at the moment, the fan engagement that they have, in, in, how, in, in terms of things they've done in terms of they renamed Shearer's Bar back into Shearer's Bar. They moved the statue because under Mike Ashley, they moved it for some reason. And then they've got that engagement from the fans who are a bit more open with them. The owners are always at the games. And then you get a stadium, you get a St. James Park with fans that are absolutely going crazy for the team. And you get the results they've got over the... Of course, they've got the money coming in, but they've got also like consistency in performance, what you're talking about, what you want from Man United. They've got that as well. Yeah. And a lot of that's to do with the relationship with the fans. And if you look at... Um, not just Man United specifically, but um, any club in particular as well, it, it, it's hard to get that relationship with the fans. And it's, But when you do get it, how effective it is. I, I see Man United fans, to be fair... And they're probably one of the better fans in terms of. I always see, if I'm right, they always at the, when they go to the away games, when they're at the stadium, they're always quite supportive of the manager, regardless of the situation. I think it's different to online, isn't it? But they, I think at the actual games, I think under Mourinho, they're always very supportive towards. Yeah, but and, I, I think uh, I, I think I can probably say only in the last twelve to eighteen months do I remember United fans properly booing? Like yeah. I've always seen booing. I've never really, even when it was, I remember when Falcao got a standing ovation at Old Trafford in his last game and he was pretty put that whole season. There's there's loads of examples of that. Yeah. But the last 12 to 18 months, there's definitely been a little bit of a, a to- not not toxicity because that doesn't really, no, not no, necessarily yeah. with match going fans, but I think United fans have just had enough. Yeah, it's disconnect, so, like, isn't it? It's disconnect. I, I always just thought it's like, and they're talking about the values and the standards of a team and of a club. I think so much needs to be heard from the fans of what they think the values of Manchester United are. I always say, I like uh, all the best managers, like Brian Clough, and they always talking about the, like, you're playing for the fans. And he, I think he always had his mind, the performance that you're putting on for the fans, who, especially now, are paying so much to go to games, what they want to see. I think in terms of when we're talking about building a culture and environment and building a more consistent Man United, I think you do need to keep that in mind in terms of playing for those fans and what they've paid for and what what players and staff have a responsibility to fans to and and I think the fans are in the right mind set at the moment, not just to win, but like you said, to be more consistent, to to bring a seven out seven out of ten, eight out of ten performance every week. They're the uh, what we talk about is the controllables of right, that's the standards that we set in terms of doing that. Yeah. And then and then I think you get that I think you get that with Newcastle, you get that with Man United, you get that with anyone. Fans really want to see that uh, organisation, that passion, that work from the players, really primarily, and and to feel heard in terms of when they're getting applauded and everything like that. So it's, it's so much the connection between the fans as well. It's it's not just a, a case study of Man United. It's every club in general. There's so many factors that go towards a performance, and you could look at Man United and say there's so many aspects of things towards what is the situation it is at the moment. But what you've got to do is look at the controllables within within what's happening in the moment and simplify it. You could argue what Ten Hag's doing is really simplifying the situation in terms of here's my style of play, 
here's my rules, here's the standards of how we play football and you've got to run, you've got to run a lot, right, here you go, there's the work, you do it. And, and I think that simplification yeah. of things is what you need when you're in a complicated situation is, is the process. What's the process going to be, the yeah. work that we're going to do? And going back to Tenaghi, and that's exactly what he's doing, by the sounds of it, is bringing that, what he's done at Ajax and every other club really is, he's got a philosophy and a way of playing and he just very much focused on implementing that. That's what he's good at and he's definitely going to do that yeah. at Man United. It's definitely, it's, uh, it's as much as it's simplification, it's clarification, it just is a much equal measure because United have had so many different identities, philosophies, managers, formations, styles, squads over the last few years that, Everyone like Rashford. I kind of feel sorry for him, but a little bit. Um, he's when he broke through under Van Hal, and then he played under Mourinho, completely and utterly different type of manager. He wanted to play in completely different type of football, and then all of a sudden he's like playing under Solskjaer. He's like, oh, this is great! Yeah. And he got him in 2019-20. Him, Martial, and Greenwood got 70 goals between them. Mm. Uh, and then obviously his form fell off a cliff last year. But I'll be honest, so did Luke Shaw's, and so did Harry Maguire's. And I don't really think anybody really has given it enough credence to the fact that all three were involved in England in at Wembley and San, and Rashford was one of the players who missed one of those penalties. And talking about psychology, mm-hmm. I, I think that's massively overlooked in terms of how much that did impact him. But I'll be honest, he looks absolutely shredded in pre-season. Yeah, I, you know like what? Because I'm doing, I'm doing more, I want to, I love playing FPL and I wanted like to do, like, do a fun part of it on the podcast to talk about it. I think I'm going to get Rashford on FPL to be fair. Because I think yeah. he look, you're backing him. I'm backing him because I think he he I don't no from much so much from insights I got, but just watching online, seeing what he's doing, um, he just looks like he's ready. I think he's understood. I think he's probably gone away and understood and reflected more, and he's come back a much different player. He's probably he, I think well, he looked at him before. I think it was more so um, that kind of inability to bounce back to to like an inability to make that mistake. And just accept it and go again. And it was more like the mistake kind of led into the, and the same with, and this is kind of the same with a lot of the players. I think looking at that is a mistake. One mistake led to two mistakes, led to three mistakes. And that comes from a, in my experience in goal from football, it comes from a focus on result, a focus on a need to win and a, and a need to be perfect, a need to be this good. And then when you lose that a little bit, it all falls apart because you're like, oh, I'm not going to have that game then. And you you kind of fall away. I think there's, there's yeah. that aspect to it as well. But talking about Oli as well, I was talking about that a bit ago in terms of how similar Southgate and, and Oli are in terms of how they're both, they were both from the outside, it looks like both very good at bringing that culture, environment, bringing that belief into the players. But then you kind of question them both tactically a little bit. But then we thought yeah. about after the, the, the games that England recently had, a lot of talk about getting rid of Southgate, but I think you've got to take a lot of care in in what you build, what your next manager is going to be, and how you're building on the last manager you had. And in continuity, yeah, you got that in Southgate. You've got what he does really well, and people seem to ignore it. Is he's brought a real identity to England in terms of behind the scenes? He's got the values set, the players know the values of the team. They've got an identity and all the history. Like I said, that Eastwood worked a lot with him to do all of that, and then you can't just because you critique him in some sense, you can't just move suddenly directly away from that. And I said, that's kind of similar to, to Ollie at Man United. And they, and what you want is that continuity. You want to build on what you already have. And I look at it like when you look at Liverpool and City, they 
built on season. We don't have to look at Liverpool City. Come on. <laughs> but that's what you want to be. You want to be like that. You, you want to, that's, that's the standard that you want to be at. The, the, the current modern day football is you're building on, you, you, you stick to a manager and you, you, you get the best one you can and then you build on that and, and you, you learn from last season. You, then you sign the players that you need to fill the gaps that you need. Yeah. You, but you build the cut, you build a style of play and you consistently play it again and again. Yeah. And, and that's, it's like that now with Ten Hag. It's, you, you, you're going to look now and you'd be like, oh, the, this window, critiquing that. And, and then you know, the season will start and then we'll lose a few games or something. And then they'll be critiquing that as well. And you've got to look real long term. I know, I know everyone says it's going to take four, you know, four or five years. I feel like I'm, I, I'm a bit more optimistic in terms of, I think in terms of culture and, and the attitude of players, I think that can be changed quite quickly. I think you can see yeah, a change in performance, but I, I do also, yeah. And, and Man United, I think Man United, Man United fans know that in general. They need to have a bit of patience with it. But you need that consistency. And right, this Ten Hag is a top manager. There's just no question it. You may maybe he needs time to adapt to the Premier League. Maybe not. I don't know. But you've got to stick with that now because you talk about Man United. Oh, that manager was so and so, and he was so and so, and and like you said, it's more so the change in the manager which is the problem more so than the individual managers themselves. It's where there's no continuity, no consistency. If I look at like the Man United managers, the difference in terms of their character and, and style of play and things like that. We've had a lot of U-turns, a lot of U-turns. Yeah, and, and, it, and you kind of understand that from a point of... Sometimes I, look, I have a bit of sympathy for owners because you, like, you put so much money in um, and then you... Well, I wouldn't have any sympathy for the Glazers. You're not going to get no, that. No, no, I don't. Yeah, don't, don't get me on the details of that. But still, owners in general... I, and you, but you look, you got to have a bit of sympathy and understanding of decisions they make, and I think you see them make that decision because you put so much money in, and then you go, oh, "That's not working." You think you've got to change things, and you don't have that trust in the process. We always talk about process over result, and that's really what the focus of Man United has got to be at the moment: is process over result. So, what is the details of what they're implementing at the moment? I'm more interested in that more so than the players that are coming in, because. Yeah, yeah. Like, like you've well, seen the players coming in yeah I know what you mean I know yeah it's like they're equally important I'm not saying yeah. that signings aren't important but you've got to look at that process within it as well you've signed players like Sancho and so on that you, you, that so much of the talent ability doesn't translate because you're changing environments at the same time so I think you need to establish that process that environment first for which you can then bring in players and then have that fruition from it, it it's different yeah it's not simple and that's kind of theory in terms of how it works, but it, it's uh, it's not as simple. What my argument is, it's not as simple as bring play, uh, player in and then. Oh, no, I don't, I don't think do any, that. I don't think any United fans under any illusion it's that simple. But I think mm. at United, because where we are and where we want to get to, uh, they they're parallel because we can't get that culture and that environment without bringing in chicken, the right chicken new or the egg. We always talk about it's chicken or the egg. Like which comes first? Is it the winning environment or the actual winning? I talked about with dad, like sometimes teams are winning and suddenly everyone's getting along and it's fantastic because they're winning. And then, but sometimes you get that, you build that culture and you get people working together and get that environment right. And then you get the win and you're absolutely right. It's, it's one way or the other. Which one do you get? You need to bring those characters in to have that environment, for example. That's a, that's a valid argument. Like you need that. And it, and it's like I say, it's not simple in terms, I always look at it in terms of culture mind action result in that order so you establish the environment first in terms of 
the clarity and communication in the environment, the hierarchy that's set in the environment, the team, captain, leadership group, so on. Psychologically safe, so is everybody feeling, uh, you know, fine, comfortable, not thinking about so-and-so and so-and-so, so their yeah. performances are consistent and they're just focusing on improving their performance. And then also a fourth one, which I think about recently, which is more the narrative and the story, like I talked about at the start there, in terms of what's the identity of the club and what we're working towards, what's the narrative, why do we want to play for Man United, why do we want to win, what's the actual internal motivation for that. That's the environment, that's the aspects of the environment you need to set. That then feeds into the individual's thoughts and emotions and, and then improves their actions, makes them more consistent. And then ultimately that one top uncontrollable is the result, which you finally get at the end. And when I look at, when we talk about players, yeah. it's, it's backwards in terms of bringing in money and, and this and that to then, that doesn't fix culture environment. It's, it's the other way around. Say so it's mentality to reality, not reality to mentality. It's changing internal first to then change the outside. So it's changing the way the players think and having them reflect now. It's so simple. It, it's so simple, Josh. It's Absolutely so simple. not, though. <laughs> not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. Type of no, not. It's great in psychology because <laughs> you can talk about it and you can say, that's how you do it, but you never actually have to do it. The managers and the coaches have to do it. <laughs> and then when they don't do it right, you go, you stick to what you're good right. at, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah, but it, yeah, it's, it's all easy saying it. That's right? the theory. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the sort of stuff I talk about with dad, really, is that. And... Uh, it, but that that is how, that is really I think how it works. It, it, you know, like you say, it's a bit chicken chicken or the egg. It, sometimes you need that bit of luck where you win the game, or you get you it's close and you win that game, or you get that decision or whatever. You, you need those little wins to kind of fuel the rest of that. Yeah. There is still that relationship between you know it's backwards and forwards. Uh, how you think and feel to what happens around you. Sometimes it doesn't go your way, and it's suddenly it's very easy for the players to go oh, flipping. Yeah, this isn't working, is it? Uh, and to, like, to lose that trust, it's great that the players have got that trust now. Yeah. It, at the moment, uh, it's it's keeping that now. It's it's great having standards, but it's players deciding to stick to that now. It's it's all those things that are really complicated in terms of we can all be managers at the end of the day because we know yeah, set up like this, do that. These are the best players. Put them on. I mean, could I? I couldn't. There's no fucking way I'm going to be a manager. I feel like every every fan feels like they can pick a team. It's just, it's a flipping. I can pick a team. Yeah, I can pick a team. But leave it at that. That's as far as I'm going. <laughs> sod that. But, um, mate, Josh, honestly, man, I could, I could talk for hours. It's pretty fascinating having this uh, sort of insight. Um, I think we'll definitely have a chat again, maybe later in the year. See, see if anything's happened since then, since our last chat here today. But I want to say a shout out to um. And make sure you follow uh, the McLaren Performance Podcast if you want to hear a bit more of Josh for some particular reason. If your dad ever wants to come back on or whether he does If you want to hear from me, anymore, maybe, but... I don't know. Maybe you want to hear me rambling. <laughs> You've just heard me there. You've probably heard enough. But look, no, man. <laughs> mate, that's it. Thank you very much for that. Obviously, I think, I think they offered quite a bit of insight into you know how, how Steve's got on in the first couple of weeks and the early setting in at Manchester United. But that sort of in-depth chat about because we've, we've heard so much about the culture and, and psychology of it, but it's it's kind of hard to understand. So thanks for offering that insight. And uh, yeah, man, um, I'll definitely chat to you again in the future, but I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot. That's all right. Um, and if anybody wants to, I, I should probably say this at the start of the podcast, make sure you follow the podcast on Spotify or Amazon or Apple and leave a review if you enjoyed it. Don't leave a one-star review just because Josh was on there. Leave a five-star <laughs> review. I need to say that on the end <laughs> of my podcast. I just I just like... <laughs> right. I'm just like, see you next week or see you on Friday or whatever. 
I, that's what I don't do, right? That's what I'll say now. Like and subscribe on McLaren. You got to go video, like and subscribe, do all that. Make sure you listen. There you go, mate. Spotify. You got it done. You know, listen, you got it on your Apple and Google. There you go. <laughs> Nailed it. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hello, I'm Shelby Scott, the host of Scare You to Sleep a podcast where I tell you scary stories full of creepy sound effects and music that is soothing yet unsettling to help immerse you into a world of horror. This is a show for those of us who have realized horror can be a strange but relaxing escape from reality. Speaking of escapes, sometimes I lead you through guided nightmares, like a guided meditation, but instead of flowery meadows, I take you on a journey through your own personal nightmare. So come get lost in the terror with me. Now a proud part of the Bloody Disgusting Network, you can find Scary to Sleep wherever you get your podcasts. Sweet screams. Sports Social Podcast Network.